Jesus. Hallelujah. We're going to call our pastor back up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He deserves all the glory. He deserves all the glory. Amen. I'm going to ask, you may be seated just for a few minutes. I'd like to ask friend Griever to come to the platform today. He'll be ministering the message today. But we want to welcome our guest today, Cheryl Miller, here with Sister Diane. Just want to welcome you here to Grace Gospel Worship Center. Right here, Sister, Sister Cheryl, bless you. Good to have you today. Um, certainly a blessing uh, to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. And to feel the presence of the Lord. I'm dismissing Sunday school right now. Uh, I will tell you, um, we're interviewing for Sunday school assistants and teachers, so um, there's some things you got to go through, but uh, we're interviewing. We'll be looking to try to get some more Sunday school teachers to help and assist in Sunday school. Amen. Amen. Certainly good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I, I, I would just ask you right now, let's just stand. I think it's important. I feel the presence of God myself. I, I truly feel the presence of the Lord. But something that is very important that's about to take place is a man of God's going to come and minister a word. And I want every heart and every soul to receive what thus saith the Lord. If we could just lift our hands right now. Father, I honor you right now. God, I've come to hear a word from you. Lord, I've come expecting you to minister to my soul and my spirit today, Lord God. For I need you more than anything. Lord, I know that I'm nothing without you. God, I want to be ready for the rapture. I want to be ready for when you come back for your people. God, I pray that your people are ready for when you come back. Lord, I want to be ready. Let me hear what thus saith the Lord. God, these days are very are becoming more tragic. There's more tragedy in this world than ever before. God, let my mind not be numbed by the news. Let my spirit not be numbed by the news. Let me not become lethargic to the Word of God. Let the Holy Ghost keep me aware of my surroundings and the things that are going on in this world. That I might be ready at all times. That I might not be fooled like the five foolish and the five wise bridesmaids. The brides. Oh God, I pray God, let me not be fooled thinking that I have plenty of time, Lord God, that it, the day of salvation is today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We set the atmosphere. We set the atmosphere. I want the Lord to know I want to receive from him today. I want to receive a word from the Lord today. I, I came to hear from the Lord. I came to be healed. I came to be delivered. I came to be Filled with the Holy Ghost, I came for expecting something to happen today. And all that can happen in this service today. In Jesus' name. I want to present to you, Reverend David Griever. I had the honor of actually 
serving with him in this church when he was our music minister slash books and slash everything. He was bishops, I would say, pretty much close to being his right-hand man. And so it's good to have him back in our pulpit today to minister to us. Reverend Greber, oh, let me get you a mic. I'm sorry. Amen. Praise God. Yes, uh, I don't know exactly when. If it was in the winter, I, my, my parents told me that I was two and my brother was six months old. So I would put it about December of 1972. Maybe sometime in the spring of 1973, we came. So I grew up, I grew up sitting under those pews as, you know, keep all hands and feet inside the vehicle. As the ladies began to shout, and bobby pins rained down. I remember I did get my hands stepped on a couple times. Just pull them back, make sure they don't get stepped on. Amen. God is wonderful. It is, I want to thank uh, Pastor Allen and Bishop Reynolds for having me here. It is an honor. Um, it is, uh, so I'm 51, and if I was two, year old, two years old, that'd be 49 years that I've, I've known uh, this church, and, and I remember, um, barely remember, but we were in a, uh, a trailer, if I'm not mistaken. It was a single wide, right? Double wide. Double wide trailer. And me and my brother, we would sit on the probably front or second pew, and the, the pulpit was not this far away. The pulpit was right on top of us. And we'd sit there, and we'd be looking at Brother Reynolds, and he'd be preaching and spitting, and we'd be going. <laughs> Amen. I remember I had a revelation one time. I was sitting next to my mom, and I, I was just sitting there, and all of a sudden it dawned on me. I said, is he Jesus? She said, no, honey, he's not Jesus. Amen. So we, we've had a lot of good memories here. My wife and I were married here. Our boys were born. And to make those of you all who knew us at the time, my wife and I have been married for 28 years. Wow. And some of you that are here today were here at the wedding at that time. So time does fly. It goes by fast. Amen. Now, I've been told I am an intellectual preacher. I don't know what that means. I have people tell me, you know, every time you preach, I learn something. Well, that's good. That's the whole point. But I do do this. This is the thing that I've, I've decided to do, and I have incorporated into the way that I deliver the Word of God, and that is when I make a statement, I like to back it up with the Word of God. So I'll make a statement, and then I'll quote Scripture. And then I'll make a statement, and then I'll quote Scripture to back up what I'm saying. If it is not backed up by Scripture, you'll hear me say, in my opinion. This is my opinion. Amen. If you'll open up your Bibles to 1 John 4, and we're going to start at verse 8. Amen. Now, I believe, as the Word of God states in Psalms 22, that God inhabits. And if you look at the Greek translation of that word, 
It could mean it rests in, sits upon, or dwells within. And it says the praises of Israel. And Israel was his people. So if you take that to a translation, that God rests in, sits upon, dwells within his people's songs of worship and adoration. So because of our worship and praise today to the almighty God and an everlasting father, let me tell you that God, our healer, God, our deliverer, God, our prince of peace, the Lord, our banner, the Lord, our shepherd is here in this place today. And he is here to minister to the needs of his people. And not only does he inhabit our praise and worship, but he wants to inhabit our hearts. And how does he do this? Through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It occurred in Acts. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 10. And Acts chapter 19. And the only thing that stands in the way of our answered prayer. The only thing that stands in the way of us being filled with that beautiful gift of the Holy Ghost is ourselves. It's not the pastor. It's not the bishop. It's not your neighbor. It's not your mommy. It's not your daddy. It's not the friend sitting beside you. It is only ourselves. We have the power inside of us to make a choice. So as the cliche goes, the choice is up to you. All I ask today is that you give, give yourself, give God some time. Listen and make a choice. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. The one who do, does not love does not know God because God is love. I think um, if I'm, yes, I am reading from the NASB. I get an intellectual preacher here. Okay. Literal translations. If you study, there are three major literal translations. King James, New American Standard, English Standard. In other words, they take from the original Hebrew or the original Greek or the original Aramaic, and they translate that, what has been passed down through time. And you'll notice a literal translation because certain words in your Bible are italicized. Did you know what that means? That means that did not come from the literal translation. It was put in there for flow. So whenever you see that italicized word, it's not the original translation. It's put in there for flow. So I'm going to be reading from uh, different verses today. This is from the uh, New American Standard, NASB, a literal translation. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. Okay. By this, the love of God was revealed in us that God has sent his only son into the world that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, propitiation for our sins. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah.
When something goes beyond the ordinary, it becomes extraordinary, or as we say, extraordinary. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary definition, extraordinary means going beyond. Now listen, what is customary, what is usual, and what is regular. So some may say, wow, that was extraordinary. And a person making this statement is expressing an opinion about something that's relative to his or her experience. It's relative to their life situation, their history, their experience, education, background. A shift in any of these characteristics can result in something that was extraordinary becoming ordinary. So here's an example. You fix a home-cooked meal and put it on your table. And you do this on a regular basis. To you, it's ordinary. But to the homeless man who is hungry, that's extraordinary. Think about, uh, uh, you know, play, if you play the lotto, please play your, pay your tithes. Uh, but you're, you're, you know, you, you play the lotto and you win $100,000. Woo! That's extraordinary. But to the millionaire or billionaire, that's nothing. That's just ordinary. That's a day of work. So could this be how we react to the love of God? Some of us have experienced his love, his protections, his blessings time and time again. And it has become ordinary. While to someone experiencing it for the first time, it is extraordinary. Love is powerful. So powerful that it could persuade someone to make the ultimate sacrifice. John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for, his fr for a friend. We learn from 1 Corinthians 13 that love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It does not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked. It does not keep an account of wrongs suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It keeps every, everything that, I'm sorry, I have. Amen. I forgot I printed double-sided. Keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is so powerful that love can bring about a significant change in a person's life. Love takes us on a journey and drives us to do things that we would not normally do. Now, for many of you today, I'm not preaching about something you haven't heard. Whether you've been in church for decades or a short amount of time, you have most likely heard sermons about the love of God. However, have we heard it and preached and taught that God loves us for so long that it has become ordinary? So ordinary that some of us have turned our backs on God and turned our backs on our relationship with God. They do not tend the lamps and they let the oil, the oil of the Holy Ghost burn out. Think about Matthew 24 and 25. What I'm talking about is the parable of the ten virgins. If you look in Matthew 25, there are three parables. But you have to read Matthew 24 to understand what the parables are telling you. Matthew 24 is about the coming of God. The second coming. That he will come like a thief in the night. 
that no man knows when he's coming. And then he gives these three parables. The first one, the, the, the five, wives, five wise and the five foolish virgins. He's saying that, be ready. Be ready. Do not let the oil of the Holy Ghost die in your life. Be ready. Number two is the parable of the talents. God gave every single one of us something that we can do in the kingdom of God. Whether it's teach Sunday school, whether it's to play the piano, play the drums, whether it's running the soundboard, whether it's cleaning the church. God gave us something we can do. And he expects us to be good stewards of what he gave us. He doesn't want us to be a bad steward. To take what God has given us and bury it in the ground. And in the third parable, he talks about the judgment. It's very important. I think this is so important. I have actually been counseling a homeless man or was formerly homeless at the church in Morgantown. Working with him. He's now got Section 8 housing. Now has a house working on getting his children back. He says, when I was hungry... You fed me. When I was sick, you prayed for me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. These are all important things. When you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Faith without works is dead, being alone. You can say that you love God. Oh, I love God. I love him so much. But without works, without works, faith is dead. But I am here to encourage you to seek out that fresh anointing. Stir up that gift that is the Holy Ghost for the love of God. It's no ordinary love. It is extraordinary. I want to remind you that God does not see us for who we are. Through the lens of love, God sees us who he created us to be. He sees what we could be. He sees our potential. He looks beyond our faults and sees what we need. And not only is his love extraordinary, it is also unconditional. 1 John 4, 19 says we love him because he first loved us. God does not require anything from anyone to earn his love. He loved us before we knew him. And God's love for us is not some standstill emotion. In grammar, we know that love can be both a noun and a verb. As a noun, it is a thing. But as a verb, it is an action. And when we talk about God's unconditional love for us, we are not talking about a thing. We are talking about action. The action, there is an action to God's love. John 3:16. For God so loved the world... He didn't say the ones that will believe. He did not say the ones that will live for me. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the action is that he gave. Romans 5 and 8, but God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the action was that he died. In this, 
First John 4, 9 through 10, what we just read. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation. That is, means a sacrifice. So the action is, is that he sacrificed. Let me tell you something. While we were enemies of God, while we were in rebellion to the word, long before we ever gave our lives to Christ, God loved us. Listen to me. God has a plan for your life. God chose to love us and cover us even in the midst of all of our mess. God saw us through time and said, I've got a plan for your life. I have placed a seed of greatness in you. So if you will allow me, I will cover you with my blood, dwell inside your heart, and protect you with my spirit because I love you. Despite your failures, despite your shortcomings, despite your rejection of me, despite your sinful actions and rebellion, it does not matter. I will love you anyway. My friends, I don't care if you've been living for God or if you're living for God or not. He loves you anyway. And if you think for one second that he loves the saint more than he loves the sinner, you are wrong. Let me tell you something, friends. That is no ordinary love. That's extraordinary love. It is an unconditional love. How many times have we placed conditions on our love to him? We bargain with God. I love you if you do this for me. If you will just get me out of this mess one more time, I'll serve you like never before. Growing up, my mom had this long wooden paint stirrer. And on the side it said spread satin. Me and my, my brother, we didn't see satin. We saw Satan. So we called it her spread Satan stick. And she would come after us. Boy, she was quick with that. She was a master with that thing. And quicker than lightning, she would grab our arm. And we knew what was coming. And she'd go to the closet and get that spread Satan stick. And she'd raise it up like that. You know what we began to do? We began to bargain. Run around in circles while she's holding on. No, I won't do it again. I won't do it again. Please, no, no, no. One time, my brother was be misbehaving in church, and uh, my mom grabbed him, started walking him out toward the back. My brother hollered out, please help me. She's going to kill me. How many times have we said, God, I promise I'm going to change? How many times have we not held to our promise? And we're back in the midst, back in the mire of what we promised we would not do. And despite our faults, despite our sins, despite our failed promises, he keeps on loving us. He keeps knocking at the door of our heart. Revelations 3 and 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. The actions he gave, he sacrificed, he died, he rose again, and he is knocking at the doors to our heart, and he desires a relationship. 
with us. He says, I want to love you. Open the door, let me in, and we will share a meal together as friends. That is no ordinary love. That is extraordinary. Hebrews 13, 15 says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. And yet, how quickly we are to turn away from those who believe that have done us wrong. We will turn our backs on them and possibly never reconcile because of the hurt they caused. How would we feel if God did the same thing to us? That he walked away from us when we sinned and would not come back. Aren't you glad we serve a forgiving God? Aren't you glad we serve a merciful God? Aren't you glad for God's mercies who are from everlasting to everlasting? Aren't you glad for the grace, the unmerited favor of God? Aren't you glad we serve a God that says, I know you. I know what you can become. I died for you, and I will fight for you. I've got something for me, for you, and I will love you no matter what. So some may ask, so Jesus gave his life, so now I have to give up things to be in a relationship with him? You may think, I can have a relationship with God without submitting to the word, right? I can just believe and accept him as my personal savior and I'll be okay, right? I hope I don't offend somebody. All I ask is that you listen and apply some reason and common sense. Salvation has become so watered down over the years that many pastors, evangelists, teachers have led people astray from true salvation and a real personal relationship with God. God does need to become personal with us, but the Christian world has denied because that's all they say. Do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Say the sinner's prayer, and that's all you need. I'm sorry, but it's not. That's not it. The Christian world has denied the infilling of the Holy Ghost as it happened in the book of Acts. And Paul warns Timothy of this. 2 Timothy 3 and 5. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I like what the New Living Translation says. It says they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. New Living, New Life Version says they will do things to make it look as they are Christians, but they will not receive the power that is for the Christian. So what is the power they are denying? Acts 1 and 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What is the Holy Ghost? It is the Spirit of God. It is the manifestation of the Almighty God. It is God. And the Bible tells us that our bodies are temples of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. 
So when we receive the Holy Ghost, God moves in and inhabits. I don't know if y'all remember David Hamilton or not, but I, 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 you know, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all together in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. Now remember, they're all Israelites. They're all Jews in this upper room, right? How did the Jews or the Israelites know that God was in the temple? Because there was fire on top of the temple. So when God said, when he died and the veil rent in twain, God left the temple made by the hands of man. And on the day of Pentecost, he moved into the temple that was made by him. And that was a sign to the Israelites, I have changed location. I have moved from there, and I am now in here. Amen. Amen. So the denominal world has denied this now. They no longer believe in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. They no, no longer believe in Acts 2.38. They'll say, yeah, you do need to repent. Some will say you don't. Some will say, yeah, you do need to be baptized. I had an argument with one lady one time about being baptized. And she said, you don't need to be baptized. I said, you do. Because if you look at what God laid out in Scripture, I'm not just saying it. You know, just to say it, not because I was preached it all my life. I like to study the Word of God. The Bible tells us, study to show thyself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. So I study the Word of God. And I see in the Old Testament, we have the altar of sacrifice. We have the laver where the priest washed his hands. We have the Holy of Holies where God dwelled. And then I look at the death burial, the death of, of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And so then Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost. It was not a mistake. Repent. Die. You got to kill the old man. Then you got to take that old man. You got to bury it. You got to bury the old man. And when you bury the old man, you can rise and walk as a new creature in Christ. In addition to denying the power, I want everybody to understand something here. Gosh, I am not a legalist. Please understand I'm not a legalist. I am not. I, I believe I believe that the, the church is open to whosoever will, whoever, whoever walks through those doors. So many times I have heard I've, and, and, and actually seen people being turned away from the house of God just because of the way they're dressed, the way they smell, the way they look. I was this homeless guy. I was talking to him, and I said, I said, man, you got to come to church. And, I, and I'm telling you this, and I, I, I did Acts 2, I preached Acts 2.38 to him right there in the parking lot. And I said, you know, this is what the church world is not telling you, is that there's more to this than just accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. Jesus needs to be personal to you. But it is the infilling of the Holy Ghost that will change your life. 
So I'm not a legalist. Lord have mercy, I'm not. But there are things mentioned in the Bible, and let me tell you what the denominal world has done. The love of Christ has been perverted by the Christian world as a means to tolerate sin. And Paul again warns Timothy about this. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort for all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall, shall they heap unto themselves teachers having itching, itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. The New Living Translation says they will reject the truth and chase after myths. God's love is unconditional, but that is not a license to live a sinful life. Paul said it in Romans, and I think he said it just in case you didn't hear it the first time in verses 1 and 2. He said it again in verse 15. He said, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And he said, God forbid. And then he said it again. Should we sin because there is the unconditional love of God that we are under grace? And he said, God forbid. It is unconditional because he loved us first. Not because it was an excuse to live a sinful life. So while we are, we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God's unconditional love has been perverted and prostituted to claim that what was once sin is now acceptable because of love. The Christian world will have you believe that if you speak against sin, it's hate speech. If you all do not know this, but I believe it was a couple of years ago that there was a consideration of limiting preaching against sin in churches some way legally because they wanted to classify it as hate speech. So the Christian world says you can't preach against sin because if you do, you hate people. That is a lie. That is a lie. I have friends and I have family that do not live for God and yet I love them dearly. Just because I disagree with their lifestyle and their actions does not mean I cannot love them. And this Christian world, Christian means to be Christ-like. So if they were truly following the example that Christ set, wasn't it Jesus who showed love and kindness to the adulteress that was about to be stoned? Yes, he did. But what did he tell her after he asked, where are your accusers? And she said, they are gone. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What about the woman that entered Simon the Pharisee's house and kissed Jesus' feet, anointed them, washed them with their tears, dried them with their hair? Jesus even stated that her sins were many, but he did not tell her to leave. He did not recoil in disgust. He did not condemn. That is the beauty of God's love, and if we are to be Christians, then we should be the exact same way. 
the doors of the church should be open to whosoever will will walk through that door and come into here no matter what they look like no matter what they dress like no matter what they smell like it does not matter if god the holy ghost is in us and god is love and that is perfect love that casts out all fear then we should show the same love that jesus showed my boys were at a youth event and they came home and said dad Dad, we were told that if we walked into a room of non-believers that we were to turn around and walk out. I said, no, 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 no. That is exactly where you need to be. I said, if that were the case, you couldn't go to school. Every classroom you'd have to walk out of. I said, you had to have heard wrong. I said, so let me help you. You go into every room with God on your side and you be a light in darkness. You be a light to the people that are there. Let them see what you're about and let your life be a witness to them. The love of God toward us involves sacrifice. And if we want to have a real and personal relationship with him, we have to. We have to give up old ways. It said our old attitudes and in our old mindset because the Bible says that we have a new mind in Christ. We are a new creature in Christ. Think about Romans 12. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hebrews 12 and 1. Wherefore, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the very important very next word again intellectual preacher here it doesn't say the weight of sin it says the weight and sin folks there are weights <laughs> that will hinder our walk with god they can be all kinds they can be anger they can be vengefulness they can be they can be hate uh they can be uh depression they can be anger they can be all kinds of things. Wait, they can be activities that keep you out of the house of God. Lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And the greatest, you know, in Jesus, they asked him, said, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? Now, in Deuteronomy, it says that you're to love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, I'm sorry, your heart, your soul, and your strength. In Matthew, it was changed a little bit. Heart, mind, and soul. Okay? And then in Mark and Luke, they go and take, say all four. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. So I was doing a study of this because I, I, you know, when it says love the Lord with all your heart, it's not talking about the organ that is in your body. Okay? That's not what it's talking about. So I'm like, okay, how do you love the Lord the, your God with all your heart? Heart, what does that mean? All your mind, what does that mean? And all your soul. And what I, I, be, I did some studying, and, and I actually found where I can prove this in Scripture, how it works. So here we go. You, you know, heart is the emotions and feelings. Okay? The mind is thinking and reasoning. And this was the hardest one. I was like, what in the world is, it's not that immortal soul that we talk about, you know, that when God comes back, we're, 
that, that's not what it was referring to. I believe, this is my opinion, that I believe that the soul is, 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 is uh, referring to our responses, our activities, and our priorities. So let me get, get you know, think about an advertiser. What is the job of an advertiser? To get into the code of your brain and change it. That's what, his, that's what their job is. You don't like Starbucks anymore. You like Dunkin' Donuts. And Starbucks is saying, you don't like Dunkin' Donuts anymore. You like Starbucks. And what's one of the first things that advertisers appeal to? You ever seen those? Uh, it may, I, I mean, it really, I, sometimes I look at it and I go, oh, that's so sad. You know, the, what, what is that? The um, A, the American Society for the Ethical Treatment, whatever it is, AACPA, something like that. Oh, my goodness, all those puppies. All those puppies, they're suffering. They, they know if they play the sad music. They are getting to your heart. That they know this. The advertisers have figured this out. I just now figured this out. They go for the heart first. Get at the heart. Pour at it. And then after that, they go to change your mind. And how they do that? Just give us $19 a month, which is less than a cup of coffee every day. And so you make the decision, reasoning, thinking, I'm going to give. And then the thing is, they want you to give every month. So they get to the soul, and they are going to change your activity and your priorities. No longer do I give here, but I'm going to give here because I want to help all those poor little doggies. And I love dogs. I, I, my son has a golden retriever. Love him. I, I love dogs. But, but think about this. In the book of Acts, after Acts 2.30, actually before Acts 2.38, 2.37, Peter was preaching. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Got to the emotion. Acts 2.41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The mind, the thinking, the reasoning got to the heart. Now you've changed my mind. And the soul, Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayer. The heart, the mind, and the soul. That is how we are supposed to love God. But even after we put on this new man, we still must be renewed daily, moment by moment. As we read earlier in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And while the spirit wars against the flesh, you see, there's this war that goes on continually. Paul talked about it. He said, I want to do the right thing, but the thing to do evil is present with me. And if I do the wrong thing, it's not me, but the thing that's in me, my flesh, that does the wrong thing. It's a constant battle. So the war against the flesh and against the spirit that's raging in our minds and what our decision will determine whether we win or lose the battle. For our mind is that inner man, the part of us that determines what it is that we want and what we do. 
And our motives and our desires flow from the spirit of our mind. Living for God is an everyday conscious decision. Folks, I have seen people that I never, ever, ever, ever would have thought turn their back on God. Never. And just throw it all away. And then make it, what? Why? You know, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make sense. But when you think about it, maybe it actually does. Because the love of God has become ordinary. It's no longer extraordinary. And they do not work on their salvation every day with fear and trembling like Paul instructed us to do. They don't live every day with the conscious decision, I'm going to, because, folks, troubles will come. We live life. Life is going to take place, and troubles are going to come our way. But it is when those times come that determine when we stand strong and say, I will not give up on God. I refuse to turn back now. It is a conscious decision. It is a conscious decision to love God, to live for Him. And maybe they're like the five foolish virgins that let the lamp of God die out in their life. And the bridegroom came, and they were not ready. There are some here today, you've repented of your sins, been baptized in the water, in the precious name of Jesus. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in tongues. But your heart is not right. You continually bargain with God, I'll love you if you'll do this, I'll serve you if you'll do this, and you hope. That when you take your last breath, or if he returns to, to take us home, that you're going to make it. I'm telling you, sin will not be allowed to enter into the kingdom of God. And an unforgiving heart will not be allowed to enter into the kingdom of God. Look around you at what is happening in the world today and read scripture. God is coming back. I don't know. I, I have always heard it preached. How many of us have been in church for years and always heard that Jesus is coming back? But I can tell you with certainty in my spirit, I feel it like I've never felt it before, that it is coming. It is around the corner that God is coming back. And I mean very, very soon. It's time to stop playing with our eternity and get our hearts right with God. And there might be somebody here today that has never made that commitment to God. There is nothing, let me tell you something, there is nothing that compares to the love of God. There is nothing that compares to the benefits of living for God. The denominal Christian world has deceived you by not giving you the full gospel. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and when he was done, the Bible says that people were pricked in their hearts and said, what must we do? And he said, repent. And be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But here's the thing. It's your choice. He leaves it to us. 
I like what you said this morning with the dedication. That's not a salvation thing. That does not guarantee salvation because when they come of age, they got to make the choice on their own. And God gave us the ability to make that choice. I've, you know, you can say, I've heard this all my life, preacher. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. But I'm not sure I'm ready to make that commitment. Let me share with you about the rich young ruler in the book of Matthew. He came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may attain, obtain eternal life? And he said, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you want to enter, enter eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother, mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said unto him, all these I have kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you want to be complete, also means that word perfect. Go and sell your position, possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away. He walked away grieving because he had much possessions. And Jesus never once said, wait a minute. Stop. He let him walk. He let him walk away because... It is a choice. God loves and respects you enough that he will honor your choice and allow you to walk away from him and pass away into eternity lost. Are you broken? Are you hurting? Are you lonely? Are you frustrated? Are you angry? Are you afraid? I am here to testify to you that a relationship with Jesus will change your life. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out all fear. Are you tired of being afraid? Then Jesus is the answer for you. He said, Cast all your cares, for he careth for you. God is here standing at the door of your heart, and he's knocking. But he will never bust down the door. He'll just sit there and knock and he'll say, if you'll let me in, if you let me in, I'll come in with you and we can eat and we can be, you know, talk as friends. You say, I'm sorry for the things I've done. I will not do them again. I repent and turn from a sinful life. Then you make the decision to be baptized in the lovely name of Jesus. And then you receive the baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then your activities, your priorities, and your responses change. Let's stand. My goal today is to encourage you. Do not let the love of God become ordinary in your life. You need to communicate with God. You need to be in prayer. You need to... Worship, you need to lift up the name of Jesus, stir up that gift. Do not let the love of God, that Holy Ghost, get stagnant in your life. But keep going, keep it burning, because it is that that will keep you. It is that that will hold, you know, that 
it, it is that Holy Ghost inside of you that is the one thing that we need in this world. It says, ye shall receive power. And it is only with the Holy Ghost that you receive that power. And that power that you receive is the power that allows you to stand on the bow of the ship that is in the midst of the storm and look that storm right in the face and say, I don't care. You can knock me over. You can drown me. You can take my life, but I am not giving up on God. Like Job said, he said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. You got to have a made up mind that I'm going to live for God no matter what. And my goal also today is for those that have not experienced this wonderful, this blessed. The Bible says, taste and see. Just get a taste. See if you like it. If you don't, you can walk away. God will let you walk away. But if you taste and you like it, like what happened to me, I got a taste of it and I said, oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, and life is like this, up and down, up and down. And every time when you're down here, you need friends. You need friends. You call them. I, I'm having trouble. I'm having trouble. And they go, hey, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm going to pray for you. Come on, let's pray on the phone. And it's that, that connection between the children of God that helps us through that ups and downs. And it is the power of God that dwells inside that helps us through those ups and downs. I want to share one more thing with you for those. If you're wondering why, why, why do I need this? The steps of a righteous man. You can go ahead and start playing around. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of God. A righteous man, okay? When you are not in this, when God is not in your life, when the Holy Ghost is there, it's like wandering around and, and you know, I, 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 people give testimonies and sometimes, you know, like I can give you a testimony. I can tell you that my dad had spinal cancer. God, at the age of 16, God not only healed him of that spinal cancer instantly overnight, but that spinal cancer that had eaten his entire spine, his neck bone, his cervical spine, calcified and turned into bone. My brother, my brother was hitting out of the golf club. They did not give him antibiotics. He developed viral meningitis. They said if he lives, he'll be a, in a vegetative state. If he, if, if he does, and more than likely he won't live. So my dad and the principal of the school went in and prayed for him. They walked out of the room. My dad turned around, walked back in, and there was my brother who was paralyzed from the neck down because of the viral meningitis sitting up on the side of the bed, and he said, Dad, I'm hungry. Can we go home? Sometimes God leads us in a way. I was walking to a funeral, going into a church, going to a funeral. And there was a, a scripture on the wall. And the last line of it said, it's talking about how Israel came to the water. And how he led them to the water. And he said, but it was a way that they could not see. 
How many of you think it's a good idea to put in front of you an uncrossable object with a huge enemy behind you? That's not good tactics. And, and if you read the scripture there, it says God purposely made them turn back. He made them turn back. He said, go back. I want you to go back. You know why? I want to confuse Pharaoh. I want Pharaoh to think that you're lost. Read it. I want Pharaoh to think that you're lost because I want him to come after you because there's one goal I have in mind is to show the Egyptians that I am God. So you may be wandering around going, God, what in the world is going on? I do not see a way out of this but God has you where he wants you the steps of a righteous man are all things happen for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose and God showed the Israelites it was the way it didn't make sense it was the way they could not see so sometimes God puts you in a place and it may be a little distressing but have faith knowing that God has you exactly where he needs you for that time and that purpose folks this is one of the reasons the benefits of living for God is that we know this we know this that God is sovereign and God is in control and whatever comes our life people will look at me and they know that I'm going through a rough time I just went through another rough time I mean, I've just about lost, I, well, I had somebody back out on something and I, I got to, I, I spent all my money. I had nothing. I couldn't even put gas in the truck. And I, I had, you know, I had my plan. That's a, that's a bad thing about it. Sometimes we have our own plans. But God had a different idea. And so I was, I was like that. And, I, and so I, I went to the pastor and I said, pastor, pray for me. Pray for me in this situation and pray for my attitude. Because I was, I, was, I was like not having a good attitude. God, you know, because again, we fight the flesh. And then after I said, you know what? It doesn't matter because God's got it. He's going to take care of it. And it doesn't matter what happens. I know that God's got this. And sure enough, within two weeks, answer to prayer. Answer to prayer. I'm telling you what, there is nothing like living for God. I want you to know that these altars are open. I hope that everybody comes because we all could use a stirring of the Holy Ghost every time that we come into the presence of God. We need to stir up the Spirit of God inside of us. Stir up that Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Move in a mighty way upon us, Lord.
Come to the end. 